1: Each episode,
0: we answer one
1: personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your
0: financial life. Hey, James. Hey, Scott. How are you? I'm really good. I'm really good, too. I'm happy to hear you're really good. Yeah. I mean, we just got to go geek out at a finance conference at the beach. I still didn't take you surfing.
1: Once America's financially literate, we're finally going to do it.
0: Yeah, Until I then, think that's what's going to happen, keep right? We're going like, to be in our 60s, is my guess. It's only going to take like 20 years. Everyone's going to be financially wow. literate. We're going to get you out in that wave together. It's going to be great.
1: If I have to give up surfing to make America literate, I will do it.
0: We'll ride a 12-foot glider tandem. It's going to be awesome. Perfect. <laughs> All jokes aside, really good to see you. And super stoked about the new format we have. We did get a touch of feedback, which we were appreciative of, which was in a sense negative, but we appreciate all feedback. It was essentially, hey, don't go over all the details of every single person, which you probably saw for a couple of episodes, but we did that intentionally to help show you how the system works, the element system that we're going to use to answer listener questions moving forward. We also think it's a wonderful system for you at home to monitor your own finances. Moving forward, we'll go back to more of a traditional format. We will just put up in a sense, the scorecard of the listener in the show so we can utilize it to help answer their questions.
1: Yes. And if people head to YouTube, they can get a overview of how the score system works and what it would look like so that we don't have to go through it every time. I think that was great feedback. We'll keep these episodes short and concise. I think that's what people appreciate. But instead of just talking generally, we will still have actual hard data for these people We'll have their element scorecards. So we'll actually be able to apply that when necessary, but we won't go through the overall scorecard to start each episode.
0: Yes, and you know, if you do want to participate in a listener question, we are going to ask you to fill out a scorecard so we can help answer in a more concise manner, which you will see happening again and again. Of course, it depends. Will still be part of the answer because we are not your advisors. We can't give you specific answers of specific allocations or specific amounts of life insurance to obtain, for instance. But it will allow you to have a much better sense of how you're doing and what you can work on next. The thing I love about this system is it's very similar to going to the doctor and getting your blood drawn for that annual checkup where you get that little, you know, results tab back. At least I do. I haven't had any reason to go back to the doctor recently, which is great. But, you know, they show you like, are you in guardrails for these specific components of your health? And this is really what we can do with your finances, especially if you can tie your finances to the life that you want to be living and start focusing on what can you do next to improve your own financial life. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Let's go through that for today.
0: Yeah, let's geek out on a listener question, shall we? Let's do it. All right. So this one's from Chaz. And Chaz writes in and says, I would like to get a second opinion. I am 40 years old and want to know how am I doing? I've been through a divorce and a major job change and have been saving as much as possible. But it seems like I may have gotten to a place where I may be able to save less aggressively. I would really love to be able to retire comfortably at 60, also live my best life now without oversaving and missing out on today. I have an old 401k, a current 401k, a Roth IRA, and an HSA, as well as a brokerage account. I know my numbers very well, budgeting and spending, savings, Net worth, etc. Thanks so much. Love the show. There's an exclamation mark. So I awesome. had to that. thank you for loving the show, Chaz. We appreciate you.
1: Thank you, Chaz. And I'm pulling up his element scorecard. You're pulling up his element scorecard. We have that in front of us. We'll also have just a snapshot of it on the YouTube page. What I love about what Chaz is asking is how can he enjoy life more today? and still be on track for retirement. I think so much of financial planning wrongly talks about how can you save as much as possible, max out 401ks, max out Roth IRAs, all wonderful things until they start taking away from your ability to enjoy today. Sometimes there's trade-offs. There's always trade-offs. We'll talk about those trade-offs today, but I think that that lens that he's looking through of I don't want to just be focused on being okay in the future. I'm 40 today. I'm in a good position today. I also want to make sure I'm doing some of those things How do we start working through what those trade-offs are and what I could be maybe looking to optimize with my plan?
0: Totally agree. And, you know, I kind of think of it like sometimes we think of retirement. I'm holding up two hands if you're just listening, but if you're watching the video, you'll see it. It's like over here, I'm going to work as hard as I can and save as much as I can. And it's basically like the fire movement. I'm going to like cut everything down to the bone and save so I can release myself of the corporate world or whatever the thing is that you're stuck in, in a sense. And then over here, it's like, I love my job. I'm never going to retire and I can work forever. And then there's everything in between. And I think what Chaz is getting at is where is he on this scale in between and what can he do to optimize his finances? And so here we have this chance and it's a wonderful episode because we all have these similar levers to pull. So it'll be a good conversation today.
1: It'll be a good conversation and just a quick snapshot without going over everything. Chaz currently has a net worth of about just over 500,000 or so. When you look at the assets he has, which is about a million, he's got a property, he's got a rental property, he's got retirement accounts, and then he's got a couple mortgages. And what he's asking is, here's where I am today at 40. I want to be retired at 60, but I also want to enjoy the journey between 40 and 60. Where would you start as you're looking at this, Scott?
0: Yeah. I mean, let's just look at income to start, if that's okay. So the amount that Chaz is saving, he's saving 19% of his income, which is really solid savings rate. Right now, he's wondering, is that too much, right? So that's where he's at. For what does he need to live life? He's spending about 22% of his income to just live. Yep. And then for debt payments, he has three debt payments. He has a mortgage on his primary residence, a mortgage on his rental income, a mortgage, pardon me, a condo, rental property. And then he has a car payment. So 20% of his income is going to debt payments. And then finally, his tax bill was due. He owed the state and the federal government. He owed about 22% to the federal government. Now, the key here is all of those numbers add up. Now, his total income, he put it around $213,000, which it looked like he was including a match to a 401k. which Thank you for doing that. But in total, about 82% of his income is accounted for which means 18% is not accounted for on this data set right now. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, what we see, I'm guessing, I don't know Chaz personally, but from his question, it looks like, and looking at his data, his income recently went up quite a bit, fairly substantially over the last couple of years. So the fact that he's saying, as I read the question, he's saying, I feel, or it seems like I may have gotten to a place where I may be able to save less aggressively, What I'm taking that as is income is up. And if I'm saving a percentage of my income, can I still save the same dollar amount? Maybe the percentage amount comes down as my income increases, which is allowing me to spend more today. Mm -hmm. That's probably why when he's talking about how much is going towards savings or spending or debt or taxes, it's not all accounted for. So in this element system, you input where you're spending money. And if it doesn't add up to a hundred It means there's some money that hasn't been accounted for. Our guess, as we were talking before, is more is probably being spent than is maybe recognized. More is maybe being saved because he's saving a percentage of his income, potentially. And the rest may be kind of scattered just across the board a little bit. But probably a lot more is potentially being saved or spent than is actually accounted for in his Score. Yep.
0: And two things that we see when we work with clients is one thing that doesn't get added to taxes often, which you can add on the federal side, are your FICA taxes. Correct. So if you go check your like W 2 at the end of the year, that final pay stub, you paid into Social Security and Medicare, and that technically counts as taxes, at least how we would view it. So you could add it there. That's one thing. The next thing is, yeah, savings rate. Are they the exact amounts that you want to be saving? And then anything else that's left over start to really think about where would you put that money and why because if that money does actually exist if you've just been building up excess savings putting it in an after-tax account which we see you have and you didn't account for it as a savings amount well you could potentially use it to live life now and continue saving as you are
1: yeah 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 exactly so that would be the first thing if could you afford to do this well let's actually get some real clarity on where money is actually going And then from there, we want to make sure are some of the fundamentals in place. And one of the fundamentals I think we would want to talk about is before we're talking about saving or spending or whatever that is, do you have the right emergency fund in place? Do you have sufficient income to cover debt and monthly expenses? One of the things that I know pops out to us when looking at a scorecard is emergency fund liquid term. Is that a relatively low number? Yeah. Want to talk more about that?
0: Yeah. So what we mean by liquid term, guys, when you're listening at home is we're basically saying, hey, you know, Chaz has 25,000, I'm going to call it $26,000. That's either in an investment account that's easily accessible. So a brokerage account, not a 401k or an IRA, right? He can go take this money out right away. He might have to pay some long term capital gain or short term capital gain, but he has access to it immediately with no laws wrapped around it. That's what we call a qualified account. So this is an after tax account. And then he has $3,000 in a savings account. He might have another account that maybe he's not linked that we just don't know about, but looking at this and knowing what his, so that 25 grand and knowing that he needs about, I'm going to round and call it 88,000 a year to live. You know, it's really only 30% of a year. If Chaz was our client, I would want to know, Hey, how easy is it for you to get a job? And then also like, how risky are we being with this money? Right, which I think the majority of these funds are in an after-tax account invested 100% in equities. And we don't know specifically what equities. So is this in an individual positions or are we invested it all across the globe? What are we doing here? Because we need to manage risk. And one way we can manage risk is by having cash on the sidelines that's just ready and available. I always think of an emergency fund or an opportunity fund as our own insurance policy of life. I just want to know that Amanda and I have a certain number of months of cash sitting as cash in case everything blows up. We have time to figure it out. If we don't have that and we can't make our debt payments, then we could potentially lose our houses, which is never a good thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that shoring up the liquid term, the emergency fund, if you want to call it, that would be one of the things that first sticks out to us here. The next thing is we're just looking at, again, balancing being on track for future goals without sacrificing today his savings rate's at 19%. Now that's including what his employer puts in. So that's not just Chaz's contribution, but it looks like his employer match on his 401k. It appears that he's maxed out his 401k, a Roth IRA and an HSA, and then also gets an employer match on top of that. Mm -hmm. 19% is pretty solid. That's probably a rate that's going to get you to where you want to go. If, as he's looking at this, because his income just went up, it's, Hey, there is extra cash we'd probably be inclined to say, now you'd want to work out the numbers precisely, not precisely, but kind of do more of an estimate. But there's no red flags, I guess I would say. It's not as if we're looking at this and saying, Chaz, you really need to get on your horse and start saving a whole lot more. He's got a few hundred thousand in a Roth IRA and 401ks combined. So he's got a good starting point. He's adding a good amount to it. I think my first impression would be is if there's extra income coming in, Yeah. Make sure that you're enjoying today. Are you perfectly on track to retire by 60? Maybe, maybe not. I know one of the things that I see is when it actually comes time to retire, let's say you're going to collect social security at 62. Just use a very basic example. And you want to live on 8,000 per month. Well, if you retire at 60 and need 8,000 per month, that whole 8,000 has to come from your portfolio. There's no outside help. There's no social Mm -hmm. security. There's, I don't know, maybe there's a pension. Maybe in his case, there's some rental income coming in but that entire amount has to come from your portfolio. Whereas if you do work until 62 and you have social security coming at that time, i saying it makes sense to collect early, but if you do, well, now you've got some help. Now only yep. a portion of that is coming from your investment portfolio. So sometimes I know when people say 60, it's more of just a early 60s is really what they mean, not precisely at age 60. Yep. So is Chaz on track? If spending stays the same as today, he's probably not way off track would take some more advanced planning to know exactly what he's on track for more precisely. But I think you and I would both say maybe start to prioritize the here and the now, if you feel like you're lacking today, because you're certainly not lacking when it comes to a savings rate.
0: Yeah. Agreed. What I would add to that is if I was could sit down with Chad, I would know. What are you trying to retire from? But more importantly, what are you trying to retire to? What do you want life to look like? Because if there's the ways to get that in your life now, while you're still working, and you are happy with it, the easiest way to fund retirement for all of you listening at home is to keep working. And the reason why it works is because every year that we can allow portfolios to grow without depleting them, just the safer every outcome becomes, we just get another year of growth or a year of downturn, but we're not pulling from the portfolio. So it can rebound faster. And so like, if you can Work full-time until you're in your early 60s and then have some funds built up to be your supplemental gap, wage gap between then and 70 if you have longevity in your life so you can get the max social security. Then it just makes for an easier life. But I'd want to know, what are you trying to retire to? What do you want life to look like? And how can you start building that into your life sooner rather than later? The other component there, it's kind of just in between, is because he mentioned the number 60. But again, why 60? As you're pointing out, But then also just the understanding of the math, and you can use the slider on the financial independence part, Chaz, to look at this. But if you start sliding around between age 70 and 65 and 60, and you just keep everything else static, you'll see how much you have to grow your net worth by every year. And net worth growth can happen by saving, and it can also happen by growing assets, right? So there's really two components to that. And you can start to get a sense of what's reasonable. It's obviously linear numbers that you're looking at there. So it's we are going to have exponential growth happen, which is kind of too tough to put into a simplistic calculation. That's when like more advanced planning techniques can come in. But it's a good guesstimate for you to start understanding what do you want to do and why. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that
1: on that note, talking about where does net worth come from, well, it comes from you adding money or your asset values appreciating. One of the things that makes sense regardless of where you are is if you can increase your net worth, obviously, that's a good thing. Where it's a bad thing is if you're increasing your net worth because you are robbing today to pay for tomorrow. You're not doing anything today because you're so focused on tomorrow. So what we might look at is maybe you don't necessarily need to increase your savings rate, but we did notice that the equity rate, which is how much do you have of your investments in stocks versus how much do you have in bonds or cash? It's at 74% today. Mm -hmm might be considered a moderate portfolio. Now, some of his accounts look like they're 60-40 stocks to bonds, some maybe 100% stocks to bonds, but on average 74%. Everyone's different. Everyone has their own comfort level with the ups and downs of the market. But if you're just looking at it from a financial perspective, the more that you are in stocks, at least in a diversified manner, the much greater your long-term growth potential. Now there's more ups and downs along the way, which you have to be able to stomach. And as you get closer to retirement, those can actually start to become negative on the financial side. But Chaz is 40 today. If he's looking to retire at 60, that's 20 years. If you give stocks, if you give diversified stocks 20 years to run, the consistency in which they return pretty, not just good, but pretty incredible results, the consistency is fairly high. So instead of Chaz going and saving more, could you ramp up your equity rate? If you're comfortable with it and if you're comfortable with how the market works, because you know, think of if you grow 1% more per year and Chaz has 350 to 400,000 in 401k and Roth IRA today, that's an extra 3,500 to $4,000 per year that your portfolio is growing by today. As your portfolio grows to 500,000, that's an extra 5,000 per year that's being added to your portfolio. As it grows to a million, that's an extra 10,000. If you're getting an extra 1% per year, just to use a simple example. So yeah, can yeah. we ramp up the growth on that, but more because of how it's invested less because of you putting more money into it.
0: And just to be clear, so we, I just took the numbers of roughly what he had. I just guessed. I said like, I just put a number of like, ah, what if he has like 350 and we think he's saving around 39 grand a year right now. 7% growth rate over 20 years, 2.9 ish million, 8% rate of return over the same period of time puts you at 3.4 million. So like the whole point is that extra percent makes a big difference to your point. The next thing I'd bring up, and we've talked about this in the past, we've gave people the idea of like, hey, which investment do you choose? It can go up 50%, right? It can go up 75%. It can go up 85%, 95%, 100%. And the answer was, it's all the same investment. It's just different time frames. It was the S&P 500. There's an episode on it. You can go listen to it. I probably didn't give the exact percentages. But the point is, Chaz isn't going to use these funds in his 401k until he's at least 59 and a half. 55 minimum. More than likely, if he has a good plan, he won't want to touch them until he's 72. And so now you're talking 32 years, I can let these assets grow. And so I start looking at it as you are, his old 401k is a 60-40 allocation, his new one's a 70-30 allocation. I'd be having a conversation or thought around, one, consolidate the two into one so long as it makes sense to simplify your life. And then two, perhaps get more aggressive with the allocation to allow it to grow for you. But then three, we go back to liquid term, we might want to have more liquidity on our balance sheet for if a downturn does occur, we can go pull from assets and we don't have to pull from a 401k that's beaten up during a downturn.
1: Yeah, yeah, completely agree. I think that, and just to be clear to all the listeners, we're not saying go buy one stock or two stocks or speculate on stocks. We're saying a diversified mix of stocks historically has grown well beyond what a non-stock portfolio has been.
0: Totally forget there could be new listeners, because I just think that everyone's been listening every episode along the way, James. Yes, we believe in global diversification. Indexing is a good way to do it. So you can build a casino. Simplest analogy. Walk in and play the games. That's like, does Royal Dutch Shell beat Exxon? That's picking stocks, like James was saying, and we don't believe in that. Next version, you could choose indexing just go buy indexes. That's like building your own casino. And then finally, you could build your own casino, but shift around the games on the floor to increase your expected return over time. Those are three different ways to invest. We kind of believe in the third version more so than the others, but you do you.
1: You do you, but in general, if you're taking second or third, one of those versions, the equity rate is something that we'd probably look to ramp up, Chaz, in this particular. And again, no recommendations. We cannot make recommendations, but that is one of the areas when we're looking at your scorecard that jumps out to us. And then somewhat along those lines, Chaz mentioned he's maxing out a Roth IRA. We just want to make sure that you're doing this as a backdoor Roth IRA income of 213,000. That's going to put you over the Roth IRA income limits, at least for this year as a single filer. So that's something, just make sure that as you're putting these contributions in, they're being done the correct way. So you're not violating some IRS rule and have to return some of these contributions
0: down the rule. Agreed. The, road. the only other thing I really think about is that I'd want to know more about, because we don't obviously have a space to put in the info into the scorecard clearly, but just a breakdown of like, how's the rental property working for you, Chaz? Have you been raising rents appropriately along as time goes on? Are you treating it as an investment? Do you have a little bit of money set aside as working capital in case something happens to the property, you know, and then just an understanding of what your numbers are doing. So what'd you buy it for? What kind of cap rate did you purchase it for? What kind of cap rate could you sell it for now? That might be foreign to you guys listening, but it's called a capitalization rate, which is a way you can kind of figure out the valuation of kind of the cash flow of a real estate asset. And you still have to factor in the appreciation of a real estate asset, but just understanding, is it a good rental property or not? And then help you decide if you want to keep it on your balance sheet or not.
1: Yep. Absolutely. Right on. Well, anything else you would add looking at Chaz's scorecard, which again, as a reminder, if you're on YouTube, it will be shown here. If you're listening as a podcast, check us out, Real Personal Finance on YouTube, and you'll see a snapshot of the scorecard as well. But anything else, Scott, you'd like to point out?
0: I just hope that our conversation helped give Chaz some direction on helping him figure out his next steps. Sadly, the answer is it depends because we don't know how much does he really want to lean into living life today? What is he missing out on? What's that dollar amount? Is that dollar amount available in the income? As we already speculated, there's excess cash available in some manner. Can he just go utilize it and keep saving as he is, or would he prefer to just choose to work a little bit longer and save a little bit less so he can spend more now? ultimately the choice is
1: his. Yeah. The choice is yours, Chaz. Yes. Awesome. Well, very good. Well, that's it for this week and we'll see you all next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. And there's a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for us to answer in a future episode. Thanks again for listening. and We'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.